0: Hey, everybody. It's Sophia here. So we were in Orlando and had a great time with Mike Rowe. So great, actually, that we couldn't fit all of his amazing interview into our show. So here for you is the full uncensored interview where Mike talks about everything from his new podcast, The Way I Heard It, To what he learned when he was on Dirty Jobs, about job creation and the skills gap. And to find out more about Micro's foundation, MicroWorks, which provides financial assistance to people who want to learn in demand job skills, check out his website, micro.com. And here's the bonus. So you hosted a show called Dirty Jobs, uh, but I want to talk about your. Many jobs. You have had many jobs in your career. For example, I did not know that you sang for the Baltimore Opera.
1: I did. I did. Yeah, I mean, it it wasn't a uh, thing. It was very polite applause. Tentative, but polite. (laughs) Um, Back in the 80s, in Baltimore, it was very hard to get into the Screen Actors Guild and AFTRA. But AGMA, the union that oversaw the opera... Uh, If you could basically fake your way into that, you could pay your membership in the other unions. Okay,
0: you can't fake your way into opera.
1: Sure you can. (laughs) Sure you can. You can fake your way in anything. (laughs) I mean, look at us.
0: (laughs) That's true. That is true. So you're not a trained opera singer, but you auditioned for the opera because you want this, a SAG card.
1: I wanted my SAG card. The only way to get it, for me anyway, I mean, I checked the classifieds. Nobody's hiring for, you know, B-list celebrity or TV star. So you've got to figure a way in. Yeah. And for me, it was uh, the shortest aria that I could find. It was uh, Puccini. In La Boheme, it's called the Cote Ari. It's only two minutes, but I got a Walkman and I memorized the Italian. And for weeks, I walked around Baltimore. People must have thought I was crazy because I'm just, you know, I'm listening to this in my head, going Vecchia osi se Senti, restò il pianto shente, re, sacri monti o over and over and over again. So yeah, I remember, I I got the uh, the and I I auditioned and they let me in. It was crazy. Uh,
0: that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. All right, so you scam your way into the Baltimore Opera. I did. Then you're hanging out, and you decide, oh, you know what I should do? Audition for QVC?
1: And- well, yes, that happened, but it wasn't quite quite that... Well, you know what? It, it was that random. <laughs> it was, uh... We were in the middle of a performance of an interminable Wagnerian dirge called The Ring des Nibelungen, which is literally, it's an 18-hour thing, and we were doing the last, uh, last couple hours of it. It was a Sunday afternoon, and I was just in a repertory company. It's not like I had a real part or anything, so I didn't have to be on stage for about maybe two hours counting the intermission, you know? So I was dressed as a Viking, and it was a Sunday, and the football <laughs> game was on. So I walked across the street to the Mount Royal Tavern and I sat down to have a beer and watch a quarter of the football game. But the bartender, a guy I knew forever named Rick, another actor who was spinning his wheels, wasn't watching the football game, he was watching a heavy guy in a shiny suit sell pots and pans, right? I said, Rick, what are you doing? And he said, I'm auditioning for that guy's job tomorrow. So basically, Rick explains to me that the next morning they're having this open cattle call for auditions in the home shopping world which to me sounded like the end of Western civilization, but, I, but it also sounded like maybe a job. So he bet me a hundred bucks. I couldn't get a call back. So I went the next morning down to the Marriott in the Inner Harbor in Baltimore, Maryland, and talked about a pencil for eight minutes until I got hired.
0: Eight minutes on a pencil.
1: Eight minutes on a pencil. You'd be surprised where your mind goes when you don't give it any other choice.
0: (laughs) Well, you were known as the man who could talk about anything. We actually have a clip of you selling a pair of cherub statues.
1: Shut up. Really? Yep. Oh, good. H13641. $19.75. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. What else can I tell you about a cherub that you may not know? Cherubs. A pair of them. A brace of cherubs. Cherubs, I guess cherubs is plural for cherub. Cherubi. Cherubi. Well, yeah, two of them. Chibuti. 19. Uh, look, it was 1990. It's three in the morning, okay? I'm sitting there. I'm, 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 I'm trying to stay awake, and I'm trying not to get fired again. Fired three times from QVC, by the well, way.
0: Fired? Th- three times. But then rehired?
1: Inexplicably, yes.
0: <laughs> what were you fired for?
1: Well, there's an interesting dynamic tension and a touch of what the shrinks might call a cognitive dissonance in the home shopping world. You can either be be very, very good at the business of (laughs) selling things and thereby generate a bunch of money, or you can be good at getting people to watch. It's very difficult to be good at both. And at three in the morning, I was better at getting people to watch what calamity might unfold... than I was in actually persuading them to buy abrasive cherubs, right? So, so I, would, um, I would essentially dedicate my professional life to both making fun of the products and the people who bought them, <laughs> which, which in hindsight, a lot of people found amusing. So they would tune in to, to watch the train wreck of my career. And I saw it as my duty not to disappoint them.
0: And so they were, we were firing you for mocking the product.
1: There was that, yes. There was an incident with a collectible nun doll, which was particularly <laughs> horrifying. <laughs> you know, they come, with, they come with winders, these dolls, you know, and when you wind them up, they'll, they'll sing a song. And the, all of this was news to me. I didn't even know people collected dolls, never mind nuns, but they, they brought me a nun one evening. Sister Mary Margaret stood 22 inches tall, made of porcelain. Handsome woman. <laughs> And I've just told you everything I can tell you about a nun. I'm a Presbyterian kid from Baltimore, right? I don't know, I don't know about nuns, but she was sitting there standing, rigid, as nuns often are in the porcelain form, looking at me. And I, and I vamped for as long as I could, you know. And as I was talking, I began to search for the winder so I could get the thing wound up because she sings Climb Every Mountain, you know, if you can get her wound up. But the winder is not where you would imagine it would be, between the shoulder blades, where a logical person would put a winder. And after a fairly comprehensive search of the nun, <laughs> the technical director went to one of those tight shots, you know, so I'm off camera now, and I, I, but I got the nun in my lap, and I'm very eager to find out where the winder is. And As it turns out, it's situated really in, the, let's just call it the lowest possible part of the small of the back, right? <laughs> And the only way to get to it is to reach your hand up into the habit. But this was dissatisfying because the habit was so tight I couldn't apply the proper torque to the winder. So I had to invert the nun into my lap and I had to push the habit down. Now I'm off camera, I'm off camera so it's not gross or anything, but I had to lean between the nun's inverted legs to get a proper grip on the winder. And as I began to wind her up, the technical director took the shot, revealing me in about two million homes doing something untoward with the nun. I snatched my hand away. The nun fell forward out of the chair, made a thud when she hit the ground and started singing Climb Every Mountain. It was <laughs> extraordinary.
0: I bet you sold a lot of nuns that night. Seven. <laughs> Seven. Seven nuns. That was a record. <laughs>
1: My mother bought six.
0: <laughs> so then you get this job hosting Dirty Jobs. Mm.
1: Yeah there were a few missteps between the nun and Dirty Jobs but eventually as Robert Frost said you know way leads on the way. <laughs> way and, uh, yeah I was working in San Francisco impersonating a uh, a news reporter for for CBS. And uh, it was it was a show called Evening Magazine, actually. And my boss said, Yeah, go out and you know, you just wake up my narcoleptic crowd in whatever way you, you see fit. So I I, I collected the uh, the semen from a bull called Hunsucker Commando and artificially inseminated some cows. <laughs> and that was a show called Somebody's Gotta Do It. It ultimately led to my dismissal, but It put into play a series of events that ultimately led to the Discovery Channel saying, let's do something like that, only not quite as nasty.
0: They're like, like, this guy will do anything.
1: I'm not good at anything, but I will try virtually anything. Sure, I'm a good sport.
0: Dirty jobs required that you try all kinds of stuff, right? You were, uh, I mean, there's hundreds of jobs over... What nine seasons? We
1: did uh, two two million jobs two over million five thousand seasons. Um, <laughs> no, we did we did three hundred jobs. We did about two hundred episodes, and they're still on to this day. It's been off. It's been out of production for three years. It aired last time over last year over thousand times. So I don't know how to make it stop, honestly. <laughs>
0: But that's interesting you say that. So, and it's also uh, famous around the world. What do you think it is about this show particularly that is so fascinating to people?
1: I think, you know, partly it's timing. And you can't take credit for, for that. You know, the, the economy is where it is. The country is where it is. And the notion of a good job in the 21st century is something a lot of people want to talk about. So they flick on their TV and they go to the discovery channel which for years had more or less distinguished itself as a place where you can see an expert talk in an expert way about an expert thing you know and what they find is me crawling through a you know a sewer making poop jokes with a guy who's a sewer inspector and so it was a look at work without the the preciousness or or the pretense you know we never did a second take on Dirty Jobs. We, we tried to keep wow. it as authentic as we could. So it, it was a warts and all look at work and where you expected to find drudgery, we would show you humor, which by and large uh, is alive and well on the job site. So it was just a hot mess of well-intended stuff. And uh, yeah, it came out in the wash pretty good.
0: Actually. And when you're talking Dirty Jobs, I mean, you did some pretty heinous stuff. I mean, sure, there's window washing, but there's also, what, cow bladder assembler, shark repellent tester. That sounds dangerous. Where
1: are you getting this information?
0: (laughs) Was there anything that you came across that you were asked to do that you just said, this is too far?
1: I won't direct. (laughs) It's just too hideous. No, I never said no. I mean, I passed on a couple of suggestions that I knew would never make it past The network. Okay. Right? So if there's no opportunity for humor, I just didn't even want to try it. I mean, body farm technician is a fascinating job, but, you know, in the history of the world, no one's ever said, honey, get in here. He's pulling a trunk out of the body out of the trunk of the Pinto. Right. I mean, it's just, you you just don't want to go there. So I, I looked for anything that was legal, um, and made me feel like, you know, Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. (laughs) Dirty Jobs was Groundhog's Day for me in a, in a sewer, basically. It was feces from every species.
0: Was there any job that you thought, I want to do this full time? This is something, if I could have another chance or whatever, if I'm, I'm going to come back, I'm going you know, to do You know, I
1: remember farming taro, which is the key ingredient for poi mm. in one of the Hawaiian islands, and it was... You know, we were later in the run of the show and it was dirty because we were standing in mud and it was hard because you're kind of bent over and you're farming, but man, you're on the northern island of Hawaii with some really attractive people, you know, harvesting this stuff and it was so beautiful and we had so much fun I thought, yeah, I'd come back tomorrow, but uh, but I didn't. (laughs) The best thing about the job was simply the fact that no two days in a row were the same. And that's, you know, uh, that's big for me. So even after the show ended, everything since has been an attempt to, to replicate that. The somebody's got to do it is about that. Right. Everything is really, you know, how can you do that?
0: You have a podcast right now, too, called The Way I Heard It. Yeah. It's a six-minute podcast, which I find very interesting. The stories, sort of the impressive stories behind people's impressive accomplishments.
1: That's the goal. Uh, A less charitable way to describe it would be a shameless uh, ripoff of Paul Harvey and the rest of the story. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of Paul Harvey and, and, and the way he would take... Uh, you know a simple biography or a simple history lesson yeah and and turn it into a mystery I just loved so uh, I've been writing those and recording those for the last couple of months and I'm also working on (laughs) these projects really now that I think about them are just attempts to get out of the actual sewer and (laughs) you know into a situation where I can just write or talk about them but uh micro micro um (laughs) Micro Micro is... Your name
0: lends to so many great titles.
1: So uh, I I literally pitched this this morning on Facebook, all right? And I'll give you the super short version. But Micro Micro is dirty jobs, but mostly animated, all right? Where I'm shrunk down with an expert and sent into a place we can only access by nature of our incredibly small, miraculous size. The expert in the first pilot that we just shot is a guy named Dr. Patrick House. I swear, not the guy on TV, wow. is a guy who wrote a dissertation in Stanford about toxoplasmosis and more specifically, toxoplasma gondii. Okay? Now, this is toxoplasmosis is a serious thing. It's uh it, it's the reason doctors tell pregnant women to stay away from cats. Okay? Oh, right. Right. The, uh, I mean, it's it's bad.
0: The toxic plasmosis. Right.
1: Yes. So I think she's shining me on, but you guys know what I'm talking about. So, Toxoplasma gondii is a parasite that can only reproduce in the gut of a cat. And what's been happening for millennia is the cats poop out the gondii, right? And then the gondii needs to get to another cat. That's accomplished by rats and mice coming along and eating the poop and then walking out into the world where other cats eat them. This is the way it works. Dr. House through all kinds of crazy research has determined that rats that have toxoplasma in their brain are no longer smelling cats and running from them. When a rat that eats the gondii and gets the toxoplasma in its brain smells a cat, he now runs towards it, thereby making his odds of survival zero. The theory is this. The Gandhi eye is doing something on a neurological and evolutionary scale that is absolutely changing the brain structure of the rat and making them easier to kill. So the real research now is based on, not the research, but the show is based on my question to Dr. House's. I got a neighbor named Doris with 32 cats. What's up with Doris? So Dr. Howe says, let me tell you what's possible. Here's what the research suggests. It's possible that Doris, and by the way, Mike, how long has she had the 32 cats? I said, well, when I met her, she had one. Then she had three, and then she had five, and now it's out of control. He says, so here's what's going on with cat ladies. She probably got a little poop on her hand, accidentally got a little bit in her mouth, got the gondii in her body. The gondii went to her brain. Doris's brain and a rat's brain, a human brain and a rodent brain on a neurological level are pretty much identical. He's hypothesized that the Gandhi eye has disabled the part of her brain that might otherwise say, hey, maybe two cats is enough. In the same way, in the same way, it's disabling the rat's brain to say, maybe I shouldn't walk up to that cat and say, hey, how's it going? Right? So we sit down and we have this conversation I've just shared with you, and then my animators have shrunk us both and sent us up a cat's butt to get an (laughs) up-close look at what's going on. Now, is that a show you would watch or not?
0: I love that it has all very interesting, intricate, scientific, and at the end we find out that you are in a cat's butt. We're going up a cat's
1: butt, yeah, Yeah. of course.
0: Because you have to weigh, you have to weigh the uh, the highbrow with the... uh, The
1: yin, the yang. The yin and the yang. Of course, of course. So
0: as someone that has done it all, seen it all, done so many jobs, what is your job advice to people right now trying to find work?
1: Seriously? Yeah. Okay. I mean, look, it's kind of, uh, you know, next door neighbor, get off my lawn kid kind of thing. But the, uh, the idea that there's a perfect job is really comforting, but dangerous in the same way that there's a perfect soulmate. People spend their whole life, you know, looking for the perfect soulmate. And a lot of people today are spinning their wheels because they've got in their head this idea of a dream job. A dream job and a soulmate, in my view, are, are, are great places to end up, but kind of bad motivators. The guys I met on Dirty Jobs and the women, by and large, were living proof that the first thing to do is to look around and see where everybody else is headed and then go in the other direction. The second thing to do is embrace the thing that scares you, frightens you, or otherwise makes you blanch. The third thing to do is to become really, really good at that thing. And then the final thing, the thing that makes really happy people happy, is to figure out a way to love it. And most people that I've met today do all those things in the exact opposite order. And I think that's the reason there are 5.6 million jobs right now available that for whatever reason nobody wants. $1.3 trillion in student loans that have been accumulated over the years by people who are convinced that if I get this, then this will happen. Cause and effect is upside down. And as a result, um, we should all get very small and go up a cat's bottom.
0: (laughs) What if someone says I want to be a television host?
1: Well, look, that's what I thought I wanted to be. And, and for 20 years, I did it. And I got fairly facile at impersonating uh, hosts and creating the illusion of competence where there, where there really isn't any. And let's face it, that's what reporters and hosts do. I mean, just honestly, it's a, in, in my world, that's, that's how it works. You know, you're graded on your performance, not on your actual actuality. Uh, Dirty jobs work for me because for me, that's when I said, that's it. I'm not being a host anymore. I'm going to be a guest. Right. And so all the things that I had tried very, very hard to do, I just abdicated and said, look, it's, it's really up to the person I'm with to be the expert. My job is is to be an avatar. So if somebody says, I want to be a host on TV, I'd say, okay, there's work out there and it's, and it's not a bad way to go. But Man, it is, a, it is a derivative, it is a derivative world. And the reason so much TV looks like so much other TV is the same reason so much music sounds like so much music. You know, everything is, it's like that, it's like that dead cat in Pet cemetery. You know, <laughs> remember the one? Yeah. They, the thing just kept coming back, yeah. man. <laughs> Church was his name. And it's like, I, I hear so much music today and I see so many things on TV, it's like, yeah, I kind of saw that before. It's, it's multiplicity. Right. It's, no, it a, is. It, it's versions of, of versions options. Versions of versions of versions. Yeah, so don't do that.
0: <laughs> Someone said, I'm going to become a plumber. Would you be like, yes, absolutely? I would
1: absolutely say, yes, be a plumber. I would say, you know, some, you know it's funny. I, I'm working for a, a couple of companies now, and their, their single biggest challenge, and I heard this on Dirty Jobs, too, year after year after year, Uh, Even at the height of the recession, right, when unemployment was 13%, I'd go in every single state. And when I sat down over a beer with the people who invited me out and asked them the single hardest thing in their business, everyone said the same thing, finding people willing to learn a skill that's in demand, who show up early, stay late, and good-naturedly take a bite of the poop sandwich when it comes around. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. But that's it, right? That's it. So I didn't say it. But no. Yeah, I don't think, but they did. For sure.
0: Micro, you're an absolute delight. I, I was so happy to talk to you and thanks for the job advice because I'm going to go get a skill.
1: I think you're doing just fine oh, with whatever this is. Whatever I really it is. I really do. Thanks for having me. Thanks Goodbye. again to
0: Micro everybody. That Micro is the cat's meow. To find out more about Micro's foundation, Micro works, which provides financial assistance to people who want to learn in-demand job skills, just go to his website micro.com. For tickets, go to ama